Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to The Herd Podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday on Fox Sports Radio at noon to 3 Eastern, 9 a.m. to noon Pacific. Find your local station for the herd at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching Fox Sports Radio or FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Here we go on a Monday. Thank you for joining us, me, the herd. J Mac off this week, Ryan back on the board. This is The Herd, wherever you may be and however you may be listening. Thanks for making us part of your day one hour from now. Where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong, there is plenty of both. We got a week away from NFL preseason games. The world of college football is changing. People are mad at Megan Rapido and Jake Paul's legitimate, or is he great to be in on a Monday? So let's start with this. There are no perfect sports. Every sport has a hole. Baseball's a little slow. Season's too long. You know, UFC and football have a regulated level of violence. Some people don't like that. Basketball, load management. Soccer, not enough scoring. Hockey, same thing. Every sport has a hole. College football's hole, too many awful games. There's 32 NFL teams, and each weekend there's seven or eight great ones. Seven or eight out of 32. The margins are thin. It's close. In college football, there's 130, 132 teams, and you may get five great games. College football has a big, great game shortage. Labor Day weekend, it's called Google. It's a, it's a search vehicle. Look it up. 80 games, roughly, over the Labor Day weekend. Two interest me, and I love college football. LSU and Florida State. I think LSU is going to win the national title. I'll watch that. And TCU, Colorado, although TCU is going to blow them out by three touchdowns, it's Deion Sanders' debut, and I want to watch. 80 games, couple that get me to a TV. I've seen the attendance in the Pac-12 take away Washington and Husky Stadium consistently and Otson, Eugene, empty seats, bad games, attendance dwindling, conference feel like it died five years ago. I see the television ratings for the Pac-12. People freaking out about all the changes. 
even stodgy baseball now has a pitch clock, ban the defensive shift, and has bigger bases. I mean, you would have laughed at that even a decade ago. Forget 20 years ago. All are happening, and the ratings are up, and so is attendance. <sighs> Take a deep breath. What are we losing here? The Apple Cup? No, we're not. Washington's already said they'll play Washington State. Are we losing the Civil War? No, Oregon says they want to play Oregon State, too. By adding Washington, Oregon, USC, UCLA to Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, more big games, more big games, big stadiums, big fan bases, big TV crowds. You're going to tell me when Michigan's at Washington and Eugene's in Penn, uh, Oregon's at Penn State and Columbus and the Buckeyes are hosting USC, Iowa's going toe-to-toe with Washington, you're not going to watch those games? Yeah, I know. You're going to miss out on that Arizona State-Oregon State battle. Nobody watched. I saw the ratings. Wazoo, Arizona, nobody cared outside of Pullman and Tucson. Since college football pays for virtually everything on every campus, yeah, they lean into the TV networks. And since gas is more expensive and hotels and travel is more expensive, somebody's got to pay the bills. It's college football. And so the Pac-12 couldn't line up a TV partner. Think about that. Networks now are bidding wars for pickleball, bass fishing, hot dog eating contests. They're all over. I watched a pillow fight this weekend. It's sanctioned. It was on ESPN. There's a slap league. And the Pac-12 couldn't get a TV deal? People are desperate for content. And the Pac-12 couldn't get a deal. Too rigid, too stubborn, too pious, too precious. It was unstable. You tell me. Are kids better when they grow up with stability or instability? And adults. The Pac-12 was unstable, a dying conference, couldn't get a TV contract or a streaming deal lined up. So Washington and Oregon and USC and UCLA bolted. By the way, Utah, Colorado, and the Arizona schools feel like a great fit in the Big 12. They really do. I don't know what happens to Wazoo and Oregon State, Cal and Stanford. I don't know. But I know adding Texas, Oklahoma to the SEC, more big games, Huskies, Ducks, Trojans, Bruins to the Buckeyes, Badgers, Hawkeyes, Wolverines, Spartans, Nittany Lions, more big games. If I'm paying for everything, darn right I'm going to look for more stability and a better TV contract. I've said this about March Madness for years. If CBS and TNT spend a billion dollars a year on March Madness, shouldn't they get a say in the seating chart at the wedding? If you pay for the wedding, can't you say I don't want Marge sitting next to Bill? They fight all the time. You don't, you don't write the wedding vows, but you get a say in the seating chart at the wedding. If football's paying for everything, and college football's literally paying for every program, Ohio State probably has 38 Division I programs, 33 lose money, four break even, three make money, and college football makes big boy money. They're going to line up. So was Washington, Oregon, USC, UCLA line up with the networks and make more money. They got to pay all the bills, more big games. I love college football, but it has had a great game shortage forever. Google, Google the Labor Day college football schedule, and you tell me if the sport doesn't need tweaking. That thing should be 
filled with USC and Notre Dame and Ohio State and Texas and Oklahoma and Oregon and LSU and Georgia. It should be filled. Instead, you get something called Mercer and Middle Tennessee State and Panera Bread Tech and Roast Beef University playing major conference powers and getting steamrolled by 40. What are we grabbing on to? What are we losing? Regional games that nobody showed up and nobody watched. I see the ratings and I see the attendance. More big games. It's the hole in college football. It needed tweaking. It's here. I can't wait. I can't wait. And by the way, Florida still plays Florida State. Wazoo's going to play Washington. Civil War's a great game. They'll still play. But it was time. Big Ten is a better conference, better revenue, better stadiums, better tradition. Pac-12 died right in front of us. It's sports. Things happen. All right. Um, you know what they say as you get older, this is what they say. I'm not, not sure who they is. But as you get older in life, that you get more conservative. I don't know. It's not happening. I'm not angry enough. Republicans these days are mad at everybody. Bud Light, Disney, Wokeness, Joe Biden, and the United States Women's National Team. Or are they happy? Apparently, because Megan Rapino missed a penalty kick and didn't collapse into a puddle of tears, they are very upset. Here, she had a smile after losing, and certain people did not like it. I mean, this is like a sick joke. For me personally, I'm just like, this is dark comedy. I missed a penalty. This is the... The balance to the beautiful side of the game. I think it can be cruel and um, just not our day. Yeah, it wasn't their day and it wasn't their tournament. First of all, nobody has ever won back-to-back-to-back World Cups. Pele didn't, Maradona didn't, Ronaldo didn't, Messi didn't, Brazil didn't, Argentina didn't, and we weren't going to. Nobody ever. This was a young team with a new coach. That's not exactly a recipe for World Cup dominance. 14 new players and a coach I'm not sure was the right coach. Rebuilding dynasties is hard. We saw it with the Warriors last year. Old guys, same culture, new guys not ready, and they got boxed by the team in the playoffs that eventually didn't even win. They didn't even play the champs. It's hard. The Patriots post-Tom Brady. It's hard. Spurs without Duncan. Difficult. Older players, older cultures, trying to bridge the gap. Sometimes you fire a coach, you move on to a new coach. That's what the United States women did. A dynasty, and they're in the middle of a rebuild. This wasn't their team. By the way, Germany, I think a very good team lost as well. Now England and Sweden are favored. Good luck. It's hard. Even when the United States women's national team had your Mia Hams and your dominant performers, they were winning by a goal late. The games were close. Think how great England is in men's soccer and Argentina and Messi. How many World Cups do they have? This stuff's tough. It's a global sport. And we see it in the NBA. The best player right now is Giannis. Or is it Embiid? Or is it Luka? Or is it Jokic? Four players not from here. Wonderful players. Uniquely gifted. The last five NBA MVPs? have all been foreign-born. People are catching up. Ronald Ocuna Jr. for the Braves from Venezuela. He might win the MVP. If he doesn't, Shohei Otani will. It's the first time in a long time both the MVP favorites not from here. 
You watch our men's World Cup team. They're young, feisty, athletic, hella fast. They're going to make noise in the next World Cup. It's almost like we're catching up to the world. Italy didn't even make the World Cup last time. We did. But it's also like Sweden and England and other countries are catching up to us. Yes, Megan Rapino is a unique athlete. Smiles and you don't like it. But I thought she summed it up when she said, this, this is what the sport is. It is cruel. It is dark. The greatest players in the world put on a pedestal and then brought down because they miss a penalty kick, which looks like you and I could do it. We could not. They weren't built to win. I don't think they looked fluid offensively. I thought Carly Lloyd nailed it. They looked uninspired. Were they in good shape for as much youth? Why weren't they faster? They weren't built to win this thing. No reason to be mad. Rebuilding dynasties is really, really hard. Good luck to everybody else that remains. I always sort of have a soft spot for England. Mom was from there. Good to have you in today. A lot of stuff going on. Uh, Mark Schlereth is at the Seahawks camp. He will join us. Be sure to catch live editions of The Herd weekdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, FS1, and the iHeartRadio app. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> Good to have you in on a Monday. J-Mac off this week. He'll be back next week. Good to have you in. So the camps are opening up. They're full steam ahead. There's two questions in the NFL I don't know an answer to, but I can't wait to watch it, and I think we'll know very early. Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets. Offensive line very much in question. Eight and nines on the board. So was 12 and five. And Russell Wilson, does he still have it? Sean Payton has worked wonders with backups, mobile guys, old guys. He's won with everybody, even Jameis Winston. Can he win with Russell? Well, he said yesterday, Russell Wilson is going to play in the preseason. Yeah, I haven't shelled it out yet, but they're going to play. We'll, we'll figure out how many snaps. So I don't have a pitch count. I don't have an exclusion list as, you know, if, if someone's got a, a light injury that we back. But, I mean, we can expect to see our guys play a little bit. That, that would include Russell, right? Yeah, that would include he's a player. Yeah, running mobile quarterbacks age very quickly. Cam Newton was really special in 27-2018. Then suddenly, he was shot. Big Ben, at the end of his career, fell over and nobody touched him. He got old really fast. And these were much bigger players than Russell Wilson. Russell was the most sacked player in the league last year. He put on some weight to absorb all the hits, and he just didn't look as elusive. I don't know what he's going to be. It happened fast, and due to Russell's contract, which is going to be very weighty for the next three or four years, they're not going to be able to surround him with an elite offensive line. Injuries are going to hurt this team, and they've already lost two receivers. He was young and elusive in Seattle and surrounded by young, twitchy athletes. He's got a great corner, couple of good players around him, but I don't know what they are offensively. The good news is, though, Sean Payton had Taysom Hill for nine starts and, believe it or not, went seven and two. He had the very limited but capable Teddy Bridgewater as a backup. He went five and zero oh in one stretch. And even Drew Brees, at the end, a pure pocket passer who could not throw the deep ball, won 17 of his last 23 games. So older quarterbacks, mobile quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks, Sean Payton's won with every one of them. My guess is Russell Wilson, we've seen he's brought weight down. I believe he has to play basketball on grass. That's when he's at his best. I think they have a young star running back off an injury. If he's capable to play with the upgraded O-line, Denver's going to be a handful offensively. They may have the best pure corner in the NFL. Don't know about their pass rush, but I like their secondary a lot, and I love their coach. My guess is if you can make Taysom Hill, old Drew Brees, Jameis Winston, and Teddy Bridgewater win, you're going to be fine with Russell Wilson. That's my guess. How good? That I don't know. But good to very good, highly probable. Russell Wilson will play in the preseason. Here's Ryan with the news. No, 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 no. Turn on the news. This is the Herdline News. 
All right, early in training camp, Joe Burrow went down with a strained calf, which is expected to sideline him for a few weeks. And Jamar Chase was asked on Friday if he expects Burrow back for their week one matchup against the Browns. Here's what he had to say. I told him that with all honesty, I don't want him there. Same thing with me last year. I sat out an extra game just to let my hip all the way heal up and you don't want to cause no other problems later on in the season and I told them as long as you're there after week five <laughs> and on we're good brother he just told me we're going to see how he feels when the time comes you know he doesn't know when he'll be back but he'll be back soon well the division's never been better I mean that division now has Lamar Jackson Deshaun Watson Joe Burrow and a kid in Kenny Pickett who looked pretty good at the end of last year this is the golden age of quarterbacks so it is uh, there's never been more good ones. The AFC North is a great example. I mean, you can go to the go to the AFC West, and it's Herbert and Mahomes. Uh, Garoppolo's been to a Super Bowl. Russell Wilson. So you know, I think this this year more than any, it's the opposite of college football. They do not have a close game, big game shortage. The shortage is playoff spots for good teams. Somebody is not going to make the playoffs, like a loaded Steeler roster or a very good Seahawk roster. I, I don't. There are almost no teams in the league. If if Anthony Richardson can play and be really productive for the Colts at quarterback and Kyler Murray plays by like late October, I don't know if there's a terrible team in the league. I really if Garoppolo stays upright, the Raiders are going to win games. They have too many star players. So, uh week 5 sounds like that's just an easy street. You can't miss four games in that division. You can't with Joe Burrow. You go 1 and 3, good luck catching up. Yeah, they have had slow starts to the seasons in the past, so it wouldn't be totally unprecedented for the Bengals to turn it around. Look at that schedule, hot. though. Yeah, but to your point, the AFC as a whole has never been more stacked, so there could easily be a 10-win team that's on the outside looking in by the end of this year. I mean, look, there's some those some early games. They get Baltimore second week, San Francisco, Buffalo. I mean, there's some Ws there at Jacksonville, at Kansas City. Like, this is a, this is a stacked schedule. Yeah, you can't afford to just be giving away games at the beginning of the season. Speaking of quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts is coming off a career year, leading the Eagles to the Super Bowl, but coming up short against the Chiefs. As he enters year four, Hurts spoke with Peter King about who inspires his growth on the field. Take a listen. Every time you go into an offseason, for me at least, I, I look at you know guys like MJ and Kobe and how they kind of diagnose their game. and Obviously, two different sports, but... um. Just trying to turn, trying to kind of push forward my strengths and uh, get better at my strengths and the things that I do well, and then turn my weaknesses into my strengths. And I've always been a unique player, but embracing the uh, the rarity of being a true triple threat. Yeah, I think he's a pretty special player. We'll sure. see. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest question is, obviously, he burst onto the scene last year after a strong finish the year prior, but all under the offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen. And so without him, it's really going to put us into question, was that going to be just a, a big pop year, or is this going to be who we can expect from him going forward? Yeah, it's really hard. Like, back-to-back -back years, Kansas City's the outlier, but to post 13, 14, 15 wins if you count the playoffs, like, it's really hard to do. Even Brady had years 
where they had great years in the regular season, disappoint in the postseason. So you lose a great offensive coordinator for a young quarterback. This isn't Brady going, you know, old, later in his career. When you take a young quarterback off a great year and you pull out his star coordinator, if Shane, if Jalen Hurts pulls back 10 to 12% and the Cowboys are better than we think, probably not a surprise. No, not at all. And, and I think, you know, it's interesting to hear him talk about his mindset. That's actually never really been a question for Jalen Hurts. I yeah. mean, he got benched at Alabama then you know came back to be a star at Oklahoma then wasn't a starter right away and ended up taking that position from Carson Wentz so I think the mentality is also already something that he's great at so it's continuing to try and grow there and to the NBA where Anthony Davis has agreed to a three-year 186 million dollar max contract extension with the Lakers tying him to the team through the 2028 season Davis's deal is the richest annual extension in NBA history, averaging $62 million per season. And he's coming off a year in which he averaged just under 26 points per game, 12.5 rebounds, two blocks per game, a career-high 56.3 field goal percentage. Now, this doesn't kick in until he's like 32. Correct. Right? So he'll be 37, 38 by the end of it, and he's injury-prone now. Listen, you got to pay somebody what this is is the Lakers saying he's the leader of our franchise. So if you're going to pay that kind of money and make that kind of commitment, there's your guy. Uh, I don't think he's Giannis or Jokic, but he's, when healthy, a top 10 player in the league. So you got to pay somebody. Uh, you know, he, he's somebody I would have looked to move, but I think the Lakers overachieved last year. I thought he played really, really well. Even You know, it's funny, even against Jokic, when the, the feeling was Jokic dominated it, if you went and looked at Anthony Davis's numbers, they were fantastic. It's just Jokic adds the element of the three-point shot in passing, and he had better supporting cast with Jamal Murray, and Gordon, and Michael Porter, and Brown. So in the end, the Jokic matchup, which looked like a real ding on Anthony Davis, his numbers were fantastic. He's a top 10 player, maybe top 8 when he's healthy. Absolutely, yeah. And I, this postseason was an interesting one for AD where – you saw the absolute upside and the high end of why you would be wanting to pay Absolutely. him $60 million per year. Yeah. But it did leave you with some question marks when he would put up 45 one night and then 10 and not look like an offensive threat whatsoever. So I think for the Lakers, obviously they want to keep him around. The question is, once LeBron's gone, LeBron's been the one who sort of pulled the best out of him in his yes. career. Yeah. And what sort of running mate are they going to be able to find with him four years from now when that contract's... $60 million per year. Yeah, get used to big NBA contracts coming up. This is not the the last $60 million contract. Uh, Ryan with the news. Well, that's the news. And thanks for stopping by. The Herd Line News. So Hall of Fame uh, festivities in Canton this weekend, and uh, uh, Micah Parsons is a great player. And uh, you don't have to overthink the room, uh, much like he was at Penn State. If you turn on a Penn State game, Micah Parsons looked like the best player on the field, even if they were playing Michigan or Ohio State. He was just great. Uh, almost like the Boses in college. They just look better than everybody. Uh, and with the Dallas Cowboys, same thing. He, he just looks better than everybody on the field and, and on most Sundays or Mondays or Thursdays or whenever the Cowboys are on. And, um, and he's going to have an unbelievable career. He was talking this weekend about the Hall of Fame and how he views that and himself. When you talk about great careers, you talk about the Hall of Fame, but I don't think I just want to make the Hall of Fame. I just want to be known as one of the greatest Hall of Famers. You know, there's categories to everything. You know, there's good, there's great, and there's like perfect. When you talk about me, I don't want to just be mentioned in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's a great accolade, but I want to be one of the greatest in the Hall of Fame. 
Well, I, I, I am one of those where the Hall of Fame would have far fewer members. It doesn't matter if it's the Broadcasting Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Football Hall of Fame, the Baseball Basketball Hall of Fame. I think they're all watered down. There's a sense that we should include more people. Uh, you know, it, it's to me, there's a lot of very good. And uh, the minute you water it down and you put them in with all-time greats, it feels lesser then. To me, there are 10 players in the NFL right now that are first ballot Hall of Famers, and most play very key positions. I think at quarterback, Patrick Mahomes retired today. He's a Hall of Famer. I think Aaron Rodgers, I always like better than Favre, is a slam dunk Hall of Famer. Travis Kelsey could retire today. He's in. So is his brother, Jason, at center. Trent Williams, maybe the best left tackle ever. He is on a short list. Aaron Donald, again, second best interior D lineman I've ever seen to Reggie White, and it's close. Miles Garrett and Vaughn Miller on the edge. They just play different and look different. Bobby Wagner's been a nine-time All-Pro. He's a Hall of Famer. And Justin Tucker, I mean, like every other kicker becomes at some point like unstable, a little bit of a head case. You're not sure. He is the automatic in a position with no automatics. It's Justin Tucker. To me, these are the Hall of Famers currently playing. Now, there is a list of about six or seven guys that when you watch the television, they literally jump through the screen. They feel like they're going to be Hall of Famers. And I can go back and forth on all the young players, but the six or seven players, to me, that look like it's the waiting room. Joe Burrow is just different. He can go toe-to-toe with Mahomes, and he doesn't feel inferior. Justin Jefferson is is Randy Moss to me, like one of those level players. I think Nick Bosa, the edge for the Niners, Micah Parsons, TJ Watt is unblockable. Fred Warner's the best linebacker in football and has range. I'm not sure I've ever seen from a linebacker. Patrick Sertain, the corner for the Broncos. If you ever seen a Bronco game live, I have friends who went and watched him last year. He's the best player on the field at corner. He's that dominant. So there's other people there that are close to me. You got a couple of edges. I also think the position you play does matter. There's not a lot of punters in the Hall of Fame. Ray Guy's in. There's not a lot of kickers. There's not a lot of coaches in the Hall of Fame. Quarterbacks, left tackle, edge rushers, big-time weapon, big-time corner, and a star linebacker are more likely to get in. So uh, to me, if you watch a game, just think of how good you have to be to be a college athlete, and then one and a half to two percent of college athletes become pro athletes, and then you dominate those pro athletes. If you have to argue about it or think about it, like to me, are you arguably the best player at your position for 10 years? Go back to my Hall of Fame list. Are you the best player arguably at your position for a decade? Don't water it down. Aaron and Mahomes, that's it now. I like Matt Stafford. He was never considered the best or second or third best. Uh, Travis Kelsey. Uh, Basically, Gronk may have been better his first couple years in the league. Last six years, he's the best. Trent Williams, Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey's arguably the best center in the history of the league. Uh, Aaron Donald, Garrett Von Miller, Bobby Wagner. These guys are the best at what they do. Uh, For anybody doubting, and linebackers are not as important as they used to, but Bobby Wagner, even last year, is over 100 tackles. So he's a tackle machine, great instincts. Uh, You can water it down. Micah Parsons absolutely feels like 
uh, when you watch a Cowboy game, that's the best athlete either team on the field against virtually everybody they play, and that includes the Eagles. Be sure to catch live editions of The Herd weekdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Listen to Comeback Stories. I'm Darren Waller. You may know me best as a tight end for the New York Giants. You may also know me for my story of overcoming addiction and alcoholism. You may have heard a few of my tracks as an artist or a producer. Uh, and you may have seen the work that I've done through my foundation. And you may know my friend and co-host Donnie Starkins as well. He's a mindfulness teacher, a yoga instructor, a life coach, a man fully invested in seeing people reach their fullest potential. And we've come to form this platform of comeback stories to really highlight not only our own adversity, but adversity in the lives of well-known guests with amazing stories. Catch us every week on Comeback Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Saturday, it's Baseball Night in America on Fox as Ronald Acuna Jr. and the NL East leading Braves take on the Mets or Shohei Otani and the Angels battle division rival Astros or Brewers White Sox. Saturday, 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific on Fox or check for the game in your area. Colin Wright, Colin Wrong, top of next hour. Um, So the Seahawks are one of those teams. I think they're very talented. They're very young. Mark Schlereth for Fox did a couple of Seahawks games last year. He's going to watch them over the next two days up in Kirkland as he has some of their preseason games to do. So you watched them last year, and, you know, I think I I speak for a lot of people. I'd kind of buried Geno Smith. Like, it was over. uh, It just didn't work. And then I guess this happened a little to Ryan Tannehill, but Geno went from backup to leading the NFL in, I think, passer rating. (laughs) And it caught everybody, myself included, totally off guard. You saw him twice. Can he duplicate it? Were you surprised by it? What does he do that can transfer to this year? Was I surprised by it? Yeah, the answer to that is absolutely I was surprised by it. Basically, after you saw him uh, in his years in the National Football League, I think one thing that really shocked me, I think shocked even the Seahawks to a degree, is the arm talent that Geno Smith has is next-level arm talent. I mean, he can flat spin it. So there's nothing out of bounds for Geno Smith when it comes to arm strength. Talent also has that kind of just, uh, you know, touch um, in in the throwing game. But one thing that Pete Carroll has always done with the Seattle Seahawks is they've always had a balanced team. They're going to run it. They're going to set up their play action. They're going to get up their play pass. They're going to have opportunities for their quarterback to be successful, to get 12 to 15 completions, easy completions during the course of a game. And then it's everything else you do outside of that. But Geno Smith was tremendous. Uh, I think Pete Carroll's one hell of a football coach when it comes to understanding what his team can do, also avoiding what they're not good at. I think he does an exceptional job at that, and they're a very talented young team. So you uh, do morning radio, very popular in Denver. Sean Payton lashes out at Nathaniel Hackett. Now, in fairness to Payton, they were 29th in the league offense and defense getting in plays. It was chaotic. We saw that in the opener against Seattle in the Pacific Northwest. How did those comments land? I know Sean got pushed back around the league, but how did they land in Denver? Yeah, I think in Denver, everybody said that was 100% factual. Like, he's not lying. Um, now, you know, I think you look at, you know, the way that came out and, and what you said, and you probably regret some of the things you said, um, but it was 100% true. It was, you know, a circus last year. And, um, and you know, some of that is obviously on Nathaniel Hackett, and some of that's on his staff. I think one of the things that you learn as a young coach is – um, that you better have veteran coaches on your staff, people that will challenge you, people that will tell you when you're doing something that just is not going to work, you know, people that will, will hold you accountable. And I think anytime you start looking at a staff and you say, well, the, it's a first time head coach, a first time offensive coordinator, first time offensive line coach, first team, spe- first time special teams coach, first time this, first time that, like a first time defensive coordinator, first, everything was a first time, you know, in their current roles. And I think that's a really hard thing to ask. Um, because you, it's a huge learning curve for everybody involved in that organization. So, you know, I think Sean Payton probably regrets uh, the way that came out. Um, 
but he certainly wasn't lying, and it was an absolute mess last year. I always talk, Micah Parsons talked about the Hall of Fame, and I've always felt to be a Hall of Famer, you have to jump off the television set. You have to just Reggie White, Deion Sanders, John Elway, look mm-hmm. different than other great athletes. And you should be arguably the best player at your position for a decade. So I said this morning, I put up the 10 players currently in the NFL and I may be missing the interior offensive lineman for the Cowboys, but 10 people that look different on my TV set and are dominant, dominant players. So you were a three-time Pro Bowler, two-time Pro Bowler, and a three-time Super Bowl champ. You were a very good college player, an excellent NFL player. Did you ever face a Hall of Famer, and what was it like? Oh, yeah, I faced a bunch. I mean, you talk about Cortez Kennedy, Warren Sapp, uh, you know, uh, Reggie White, um, there was a lot of John Randall. I mean, I go on and on with all the Hall of Famers um, that I faced over the course of my career. Those guys are just different on film. Like, they're just, you know, they're just good. You have to be so dialed into what you're doing. You have to have such a great plan because the difference between, you know, a regular player or a good NFL player or a really great NFL player and a Hall of Famer is the Hall of Famers do everything well. There is nothing they can't do. And so a lot of times when you're facing a guy or facing an opponent, they have one thing that they're exceptional at, right? They're a power guy. They're a speed guy. They're a quick guy, whatever the case may be. Um, the Hall of Famers are speed guys to power guys to quick guys. To, they can beat you a myriad of different ways. And, um, and that's what, you know, that's what sets those guys apart. So. Um, faced a lot of go- those guys over the course of my career and, um, and yeah, they're just, they're just different. It's, I, I think John Lynch once said this to me and it just resonated with me. I can't tell you what a hall of famer is. I just know him when I see him. And, you know, I think that's, I think everybody kind of has that feel for what hall of famers are. Yeah. Aaron Donald, Trent Williams, Travis Kelsey, they just look different. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I think well, that, let me just real yeah. quick on Michael Parsons though, really quick on Michael Parsons, that dude could be the best outside edge pass rusher in football. He could probably become the best middle linebacker in football. He's a great blitzer, but the play that set it apart for me, I did a giants game and they had their wide receiver, their X was Kenny Galladay in a cut split, meaning inside yeah. in the slot, right yeah. on the single side, they motion a back out. Just to get a tell on the defense, Michael Parsons goes out with a motion. So he's got man-to-man coverage. Then they motion the back back in, and he's going to pick the cornerback that's covering Kenny Galladay. And Kenny Galladay is going to run a wheel. And you could see Michael Parsons in motion going back with the with the, the uh, running back, screaming at the cornerback. You're going to get picked. You're going to get picked. You're gonna... Cornerback is completely oblivious. He gets picked. Michael Parsons leaves his coverage, goes man-to-man down the sideline on the wheel route with Kenny Galladay and just tips the ball away like it was nothing. (laughs) So it's not only athleticism, you know, speed, quickness, but the understanding of the game at at just a deeper level. That's that's what Michael Parsons does, regardless if you got him outside, inside, covering a back, you know, I mean, you can play cornerback for crying out loud. If you asked him to. Yeah, Dave Wanstat told me last night, Zach Thomas, the Hall of Famer for the Dolphins, he said he would literally be in the facility at 9 p.m. He'd walk into Dave's office and say, I don't like this coverage. We're going to get burned on it. It was like having a coach on the field. So beyond mm-hmm. all of his talent, he was so intuitive, so locked in, the great players have it. So as a former offensive lineman, 
I think the Jets could be 8-9 and nine if they can't block on the left side. Dwayne Brown goes down, old left tackle. They could be 12-13 if the defense is as good as we think again. Everything, to me, revolves around the O-line. If Makai Becton can stabilize right tackle, if Dwayne Brown stays healthy, it's a really good football team. But I worry about it. Go back to your career. Does the quarterback, if the O-line's not great, and you played on some great ones, but you probably had a year where it was a little lean, if the, the offensive line is okay, does the quarterback, can he help? Could Aaron help an average O-line? Oh, yeah, especially in today's game with how quickly you get rid of the ball and, you know, how fast the ball comes out, um, you know, how many short drops there are, how many five steps without a hitch or with that, you know, those type of things. So the quarterback can definitely take some pressure off the offensive line. Um, but it really comes down to play calling. Play calling is is when you have a balanced offense and you can call plays and you can give, you know, you can give your offensive line a bunch of different tools within their tool belt. Then they've got an opportunity to be successful. So you're going to run the run action type of play action, right? The boot keep game, the stuff that looks like run. Then you're going to run the play action stuff where it's a seven-step drop. You're keeping six, seven guys into protection, running two and three-man combinations. Then all of a sudden, we're going to run the three-steps uh, game, you know, where you can upkick and you can be aggressive. And then a five-step without a hitch so I can still do the same thing. So if you're really good and a, a great play caller, you can take a ton of pressure off a very average offensive line and make them exceptional. I always say this. If you give up seven sacks during the course of a game, your offensive line doesn't suck. Your play caller does. Because um, you put them in a in a in just an incredibly tough position. And when you have a play caller that does that to an offensive line, it's like saying to a plumber, hey, I want you to go fix my plumbing. My sink is clogged up and you need to take it apart. But here's a screwdriver. And that's all you get. Yeah. We can't fix it with just a screw. You know, you got to have a monkey wrench. You got to have some other things to actually take that, you know, take that plumbing apart. So that that is how important play callers are. Uh, I always say this, not just calling a play, but calling an offense. There's a difference. And the great ones call an offense. The bad coordinators just call plays. Yeah. Well said. Mark Slareth, Fox Sports in Seattle. Next couple of days watching the Seahawks, then doing a preseason game for Seattle and Pete Carroll as always. Great seeing you, Mark. Good to see you, Colin. Take care, buddy. Yep, he did the uh, Seahawk-Niner game last year and the Seahawk-Carolina game last year, so he's seen a lot of them. He's at camp. So a lot of our guys at Fox Sports, they're banging around the camps. They'll do some preseason games to get ready. It's their preseason as well. Colin Wright, Colin Wrong, top of next hour. The, uh, the college football change, it's very interesting. I am not a traditionalist. So I, di I didn't grow up, uh, you know, going to the same church and the same camp that a lot of people did. And they're 40% of America never leaves the area code in which they grew up in. I get it. I've moved a lot. I'm mobile. I'm into it. I like new stuff. I'm a windshield guy, not a rearview mirror guy. A lot of people, they grab those traditions and they don't like it. And I totally get it. What's interesting is that it's the Pac-12 fans that don't have the tradition and the full stadiums regularly belly aching about the move, but Big Ten fans, uh, I haven't heard a ton from them, and and they have a, a bigger argument, like, hey, our stadiums are already full. Why do we need the Huskies? I could see Big Ten fans saying, I like our tradition. Why do I want to play? Why do I want to go to Eugene, Oregon, and Los Angeles? Those could be two more L's. Well, I don't like that. I can see Wisconsin not liking that or Iowa.
But for Pac-12 fans, and I'm, I'm a Pac-12 guy, the conference died five years ago. It's always been led by USC. When USC is great, the perception is the conference is great. The TV contracts were great when Pete Carroll and USC were winning. When Pete left, they couldn't get the right coach. The conference felt small and irrelevant. And in the end, if you look at the revenue projections for the Pac-12 going forward, they don't have any. They couldn't find a partner. The revenue projections for the Big Ten are like $75 million per university per year. Well, football pays all the bills. That's going to pay for all those other sports. And those are just some of the projections. It could be more. All right. Colin right, Colin wrong. Top of next hour. We'll talk to Mark uh, uh, Helfrich, former Oregon Duck coach. His thoughts on the dismantling of the Pac-12. It's the Herd. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.